to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen? And by believing in him, we may have life in his name. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I don't think it will surprise us, but hopefully we have enough evidence in our own lives, and especially in the context of the Word of God, that from the very beginning until the very ending, Satan is, has been, and will continue his unrelenting, malevolent attack against the integrity of God. Satan's whole purpose is to discredit the honor, the integrity, the character of God. We do see this, don't we? His whole purpose and everything that he does, everything that he is as a fallen malevolent being through whatever means he can to dishonor, to show that God is a God of no integrity. This is what's happening in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. This is what's behind the scenes operating as we'll look at the natural events. Remember the story, an adulterous woman is brought to Jesus by the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, for a rendering of his judgment. And behind this, as behind everything and anything that calls God into question, calls his work into question, calls his purpose into question, There is the desire, the attempt to discredit God's honor and discredit God's integrity. So let's read these these verses together this morning. I'm reading from New American Standard, which is pretty close to the English Standard Version, which many of you may have. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, in the very activity of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Uh, They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusation against him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Father, what a picture. What a picture of our lives. Every one of us, guilty of and caught in the very act of being an adulterous people. Father, would you this morning communicate with us the power of the gospel that has set us free from condemnation? Father, would you cause us to not only revel in the forgiveness that you have given to us, But, Father, freely give it to those who have in some way, under certain circumstances, attacked us. Not really attacking us, but attacking the grace of God. Father, would you minister to us deeply this morning? Father, we know that always in the congregation there are those who are desperately in need of particular words, but all of us in a general way are in need of your word. So Holy Spirit, would you sift the hearts, search us out, and minister your grace this morning as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at these verses and see what the Lord would have for us this morning as we go through the story piece by piece. The question. There is a question on the table. Verses 1 through 6, or at least the first part of 6. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching. And into the midst of the assembly where Jesus is teaching... Come the proud ones, the ones who are the religiously upright, the ones who do it well and who are very proud of what they do. I am concerned sometimes that I would have been one of the leaders in that group. And as you see the group coming, you see that They are bringing a woman with them. Now, don't think that the Pharisees are touching this lady. They have others to put their hands on her to bring her forward. Because you see, such men as the Pharisees become polluted if they become 
entangled with the sin of other people. So they're not personally touching, but they are leading and they have certainly contrived this. This woman, probably unmarried, maybe betrothed, she's been caught in adultery. They're bringing her to Jesus. How embarrassing. How embarrassing for the public to see your sin. Amen. I think if we were to be asked this morning, would you want the entire congregation to have a film of your thoughts and attitudes during the last week? Well, I don't think so. How embarrassing. How must it have been for her? How difficult for her. You see, the charge was correct. And we have to be careful. They are right. They are legally right. She is caught in the very act of adultery. It's very interesting that they say she's not only an adulteress. You know, we heard this that she and Mr. Jones over here were having an affair. That's not what they're saying. They are saying that they have been discovered together in the very activity of adultery. Now, one has to ask, how did this happen? You were just passing down the street and you just happened to look in the window and saw what was going on. And you just happened to have enough of your pharisaical friends with you. No, this is contrived. Some man has been put up and asked, would you do this? I'll do it. To make the woman who is an adulteress the snare for Jesus. So they bring her in. They're correct. You see, the verdict was correct. She's not only caught in the very act of adultery, but they are correct in saying the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 22, verses 21 and 20, 20 and 21, say that if she is caught like this, and apparently she's either betrothed or unmarried from the context, the law says we ought to stone her. We need to stone her. The verdict is correct. Sometimes, you know, when we look at this story, we're thinking, oh, she wasn't really guilty and they were. No, she was guilty and they were correct in the verdict of the law. Amen. How many of us were guilty and when the law said against us, we should be stoned, the law and the verdict were correct. Amen. Let us not let ourselves off the hook that we thought or think we were not guilty. So what was wrong with this? What was wrong was their motive was wrong. Their purpose was wrong. These are not men who genuinely desire to understand God in a way and give Jesus an opportunity to display grace and mercy and kindness. These were men who were looking to discredit the Son of God. Which is what always sin wants to do. Their motive was wrong. Remember verse 6. Look at verse 6. Chapter 8, verse 6. 
And they, the Pharisees and the scribes, were saying this. Why? To test Jesus in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. Accusing him of what? What did they want to do? You see, they wanted to show that Jesus is not equal with the Father. He's not the Messiah. He's not the one one that you're waiting for. He's not the religious man that he says he is. He's not that prophet that Moses talked to us about. This man is a charlatan. So what was the question all about? Um, what do you say, Jesus? What should we do? Won't they sweet? You see, if Jesus says that she should be stoned, yeah, you're right, let her be stoned. What happens to his credibility as the compassionate Savior, the Messiah? What happens? If he's willing to let her go, you let her off the hook and she's guilty. Then he's shown to be an enemy of the law of Moses. What do you do? I remember years ago, I was rather a strict teacher. Didn't let a foolishness go on in the classroom. We were there to learn and Teach, not to play. I remember one morning, beginning of the class, girls came in, all girls high school. They came on in and there was one girl in particular had come in, was standing rather than sitting. She was supposed to be sitting in the classroom, not standing. (laughs) She's standing. And so... I asked her, you know, would you sit? And I mean, she blew up. She started yelling and screaming. Storm. I mean, this girl went ballistic. You know, I just said, sit down. And you know me, I said, sit down in my normal sweetness. I mean, you know, would you sit down, please? Someone disputed that in here. Someone around here disputed that. You disputed that, didn't you? And so she starts to erupt. And as she is blowing up, all the other girls literally are sitting there. So when she's finished, this is what I said. I'm sitting at the desk. I said, now, are you finished? Now, I'm telling you what we're going to do. Now, what do you think they expect? What do you think they expect? Huh? Detention, thrown out, go to the principal. Thank God in those days, God gave me wisdom. Really? See, had I thrown her out, then I lose the class. If I let her get off, oh, you see, but I lose the class. Please do not misunderstand. I am not in the same league as Jesus here. Oh, listen to this guy. Let me tell you what we're going to do. You're going to go downstairs. You're going to wash your face. You're going to get a drink of water. You're going to come back up here. 
You're going to sit down and we're going to have class. You see, we found out later that her daddy had been beating her with coat hangers. You see, if Jesus lets this lady off, he can't do that. And yet, he's called to minister to her compassionately if he wants to win her. Amen? So what is his answer? Verses six and a half and eight. Jesus doesn't reply. He just sits there. I've asked you a question, Jesus. He's sitting there doodling. How many of us have asked Jesus a question about something that we are in need of and he just sits there? Only one person has ever experienced Jesus just sitting there and not answering. Only one. Now, I have met with many of you. And we can begin to call out names. Just this last week, three different occasions where people asked Jesus and he just sat there. Seemingly so. And what does this do with the the sin in the heart of these men. What does it do when Jesus seemingly just sits there when we need him to do something? What rises up in us when something rises up in us? What is it called? Sin. And they get antagonistic. We asked you a question. They what? Persist. Is, is that what the word says? They persisted. You can just see Jesus drawing out the invective in their hearts. Displaying it to show what is really behind the question. And then finally he says, He who is among you without sin, you cast the first stone. Now it's interesting. The word here... For sin is the variant of the word for sin, but it's used in a particular way. Now, here's what Jesus said to these guys. He who among you is without this particular sin. Now, Jesus is not talking about adultery. Remember when he says, you have heard that it was said of old, those you know, who commit adultery, remember that? But I say unto anyone who looks upon the woman to lust after her. He's not talking about that. That was his teaching. These men were coming under the old law, which adultery was a physical act, not a thought. Although today we know that adultery begins with thoughts. It is a thought and it produces itself into an action if we're not dealing with a thought. So Jesus is not dealing with their thought life here. He's dealing with their activity life. How many of you are comfortable with the idea that Jesus not only knew their motive, but he knew what they did? Any of us ever come to the Lord hoping he doesn't know 
and see. Listen to this word in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. Nothing in all creation, may I repeat those words, nothing in all creation is hidden from the sight of God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God knows it all. Now for me, that used to be literally one of the most terrifying verses or thoughts or concepts that I have ever heard. But today, I've come to realize that is one of the greatest and most freeing and liberating understandings of God. I can't get away with anything. I'm so glad at least there's one whom I cannot fool. That I can be so perfectly free, no pretense, to go before him and to receive of him mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, him knowing completely the foulness of the motive and the attitude and the actions and the words and all the other. Isn't that a freeing thought? Amen. He knows us completely. He's forgiven us completely. And he receives us as completely. What happens, you who are without this particular sin? Now look at the, think about it. You brought the woman before Jesus and now he's laying before you. If you've never done this, you throw the stone. <clears throat> they caught. Sin's trap has caught them. They're caught by their own trap. So what does the word say? Beginning from the who? Oldest. You see, it's the oldest ones here who bear the most guilt before God because we've had more opportunity to sin than the youngest. Although all are sinning all the time, we've just accumulated more on our ledger than the young ones have. From the oldest all the way through, we don't know how many, of course, what do they begin to do? First of all, their jaws dropped. <laughs> their countenances dropped. Their hearts dropped. This wasn't a good idea. We got hurt by this. <laughs> they dropped the stones, walked off. I wonder if they got together in a staff meeting later on that day at IHOP and, 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 and jumped the guy who said, this is what we ought to do. Hey, fool! <laughs> what made you think that we could pull it off? Don't you ever give any more recommendations in this staff meeting. I don't know if I've been in any of those kinds of meetings. but I would wonder what the activity of the background of getting back together would look like. I told you. I just going on. I thought, it, you know. Sometimes we don't think like this. Maybe it's strange just to say it that way. They've been caught in their own trap. Please be careful. Sin will always catch you in its trap. May I repeat that? Sin will what? I can't hear you. Always catch us in the trap. 
So what is Jesus' verdict? Verses 10 and 11, beginning of 11. Everybody's slinking away. They're slithering away like a bunch of snakes. I don't think they're walking off confidently. I think they kind of bent over and slithering like snakes ought to slither in the face of the Son of God. And what the Lord said to the serpent in Genesis 3, you're going to crawl on your belly. And you can see them crawling on their bellies away. Those who are accusing and bringing a verdict against God. And the woman's left alone. What is the verdict? You see, she was guilty. But her accusers left. There's an interesting comment or regulation in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 15, 19, verse 15. And it says this, a matter, you know, whatever it is, an accusation, whatever it is, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or at least two or three. Now, you can get more than that, but you've got to have two or three. You have to have that. And so what's happened is that the accusation against her does not become a groundless accusation. It is true. But now that the witnesses have slinked away, there are no more witnesses. And Jesus, being a man of the law, says, I don't condemn you either. I don't condemn you. I'm not going to go against the law. I'm not going to condemn you. Because your accusers are no longer here. We have to throw the case out. How many cases have we seen where the DA has had to let the guilty party off? Why? Because those who were eyewitnesses didn't show up. Or they wouldn't get on the stand. So what do you have to do in those cases? You've got to let them go. But you see, she's guilty. And so Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And with that word, he gives a final command. And he says this, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Now, what's the dilemma? Recognizing her sin. Do you think that Jesus knew that she was a sinner? You think Jesus knew this? Any question about whether Jesus knew she was a sinner? He knew this. So there's a dilemma here. Recognizing her sin, the question is, did Jesus let her off the hook? Did she get away with something? Does anyone ever get away with anything? How many times have I heard in meetings, someone ought to pay. Especially when it comes to divorce situations, someone should pay. When someone does something against, someone should pay. When someone steals, someone should pay. When someone, someone should pay. Justice says someone should pay. Have you ever asked the question, well, will some have be able to escape paying? Isn't that the question? Someone needs to pay? Well, will somebody, will they be able to not have to pay? Is somebody going to escape having to pay? Let me say this. And make sure we hear this. 
especially in our kind of society where we see all this stuff going on all the time and seemingly it looks like people are getting away with whatever. No one gets away without pay. If you play, you're going to pay. If you play, you're going to pay. Amen? No one ever has and ever will get away without paying for sin. No one's sin goes unpunished. No one's sin ever has nor ever will go unpunished. We need to get some adjustment here in some of our attitudes as we look at others in the society around us and we see all that they are doing and all that they seemingly look like they're getting away with and we wonder, how can this be? You know, how did that? This guy got let off. Listen, there is a day coming. When everything will be made right. Do you believe that? Yes. Listen to Romans 1.18. You see, no one gets away without being punished. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the unrighteous, godly, all the ungodliness and wickedness or unrighteousness of men. Who will pay? Who will pay? All will pay. Everyone in this audience today, every one of you, including me, Every one of us will pay for every sin we have ever and will ever commit. Can you say amen to that? You see, don't get the idea something's getting slipped past here on God. Every one of us will pay for every sin we have ever and will ever commit. Every one of us will pay. That's not the question. The question is not, will we have to pay? The question is this, how will we have to pay? You see, you're either going to pay for your sins in your own body. Listen to this word in Revelation 20, 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, if you weren't saved, if they weren't forgiven... That person was thrown into the lake of fire. Every man and woman and child who has ever drawn breath, who has ever been conceived, will pay for sin. Everyone. No one gets off. So the question is not, will they pay? The question is what? How or who will pay? Everyone will pay. Everyone pays before the bar of God's justice. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Remember verse 13 of Hebrews 4? Everyone pays. This morning, you're going to pay. The eternal wrath of an angry God against your sin, you're going to pay. Either in your own body, you will personally pay or you will pay in the body of Christ. Some body, person, physical being will pay for sin that is committed in the body.
you will pay either in your own body or in the body of Christ. It's worth turning to. Turn to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Every one of us should have this memorized. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to start quoting. I'm going to get it wrong. It looks like I don't know it and never heard of it before, so I'm going to read it. But every one of us should know this. <laughs> Not wise sometimes for me to try to start quoting something I actually do know and then get in the middle of it. Not that I don't mind you making me look like I'm a goofball. That doesn't bother me. That's when you are. It doesn't bother you. It's just I don't want to confuse you. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. Every one of us will pay. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, what? In the what? In the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, can you tell me whether Paul the Apostle was physically crucified with Christ? How many of you know this did not happen? But you see in the mind and in the heart of God and in the economy of God, God, having predestined and called Paul to be one of his own in a way that we will never understand probably, literally in some way in the mind of God when he says it in his mind, it is as literal as it can be except it just wasn't physical yet. It was literal, but not physical. There's the difference here. You do see that. And God took this man and placed that man, Paul, all that was about this man from his conception to his death, everything about Paul, everything about him, and placed him into the very life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. So that when Jesus paid the penalty for sin on the cross, Paul was in Christ dying, paying but vicariously, indirectly, in Christ. When God was judging the world through the great flood, the eight people in the ark, remember Noah and the family, those eight were being judged just like everybody else, but they were being judged in the ark, which was getting slashed and bashed and bruised for as as a result of this great turmoil and they were saved alive but they went through the judgment but in the ark and they came out saved in the ark because they went through the judgment and bore the judgment of God except in the ark everyone pays for sin everyone The next time you and I get upset about someone getting away with something, remember this. And if it doesn't help you, then maybe you need to question whether you are in Christ or whether you should be in Christ. But let's give thanks that our sin, as bad as anyone else's sin, has been judged in Christ. Amen? Where were we when Jesus died? Where were we? Where was I? Where were you? We in the sight and in the economy and in the justice of God were in Christ. Do you believe that or not? You didn't get into Jesus because you said, Jesus saved me. You got into Jesus because God put you in Jesus before the foundation of the world, before you were ever conceived, before you were ever born, so that today you could be saved because you were in Christ then. 
That's why you're here today as a saved person, if you're saved. You see, Jesus can forgive this woman before he dies because he will pay for her sin when he dies. This is the reason. This is how it works for the Old Testament. Everybody in the Old Testament had faith in Christ as best they understood through the revelation that God gave them through the law and the festivals and all the economy of God and the temple and all of that was a display of someone dying in your place as an innocent taking into himself your guilt. Remember the two animals, we won't go into all that. This is how they died. They died by faith looking forward to the cross and we, what? I'm sorry, they were saved by looking... F- by, may I say it one more time? Help me about this. They looked forward in faith to the working of God's grace, not understanding the details. All they knew is that's what they were to do. We look which way? Backward to the same cross. You see, the cross of Christ gathers all of God's people into Christ. The cross of Christ gathers all of God's people into Christ. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, he's addressing his letter to God's people. And he says in Cappadocia, Pontia, you remember all that. He says this, all of these people, God's people, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is God's decision and work before the foundation of the world. You can't get away from it. You were chosen Foreknowledge of God. If you don't know what foreknowledge means, go to verse 20 in chapter 1. It will say that Jesus, you know, was foreknown by God. And it certainly does mean that personal relationship of love and acceptance and unity. So in the cross of Christ, what happens? The justice and the mercy of God meet. The justice of God is poured out upon Jesus the justice of our condemnation, the just condemnation for our own sin, the just condemnation for our own sin, he bore in his body upon the cross. And when he said in John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. All that was against us, All that we were and ever would be and had ever done that was against us was gathered up in that it is finished. And when Jesus died, all that was evil and sinful in us died because in his death, my sinful old humanity died when he died. I just didn't find out about it until like 1964. That's when I found out about that. That's when the Lord came a knocking. You mine, and now we're going to let you know what I've done. You see, God condemns sin in Christ so that he can forgive sin in Christ. Can you say amen? Oh, glory. What is the effect of the forgiveness? You know, I don't know, but for me and probably for this woman and maybe for all of us, can you imagine these words? 
She is vile, filthy, guilty. She's ruining marriages, destroying homes with her guilt of adultery. Many people's lives are wrecked because she is giving them opportunity to do their sin. It's their fault, her fault. She probably can't even get into temple, can't, maybe has no experience of giving sacrifices for sin, and yet she hears the most beautiful words that were ever, ever, ever uttered on our behalf. Neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. How many of us know what Romans 8, 1 says? <sighs> Come on. There is therefore I can't hear you there is therefore come on church there is therefore don't make me yell there is therefore now grab the word now I ain't going to heaven I am a heavenly man today there is therefore now what no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Aren't you glad he didn't say for those who get it right, for those who believe a certain way, for those who obey a certain way. Yes, there's obedience here, but aren't you glad that it is a positional salvation which produces the practice of salvation. Amen. Position to have practice, not practice to get position. I am in Christ. Therefore, I live in Christ. Go and sin no more. Why does God put us into Christ? Why does God save us? Why does God forgive us? Why does Jesus go to the cross so we can be a people who are in our bodies exemplifying his own practical holiness? Go and sin no more. You know, it seems to me as I think about this that the most grievous sin of all is for any of us to sin after having received the knowledge and the benefit of the grace of God. We think their sin is bad. How many of you have ever done something wonderful for someone and then they did not act in the way you thought they should? You thought they acted bad before, but didn't having received what you did for them and their sacrifices and whatever cause you to think this is even worse than what they used to do? Amen? What are we supposed to do with this? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Romans 6, 12 and 14. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. Stop sinning as instruments of unrighteousness. But present, present, go after, give yourself as in... Uh, Let me see, where am I? Yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have mastery over you. For you are not under the law. You are now under God's grace. You see, being forgiven releases us from the control of sin. Think back. Think. How many of us 
have ever had a person in our life say or do or act in a way that was hurtful to us, that offended us. How many of you have ever been mistreated? How many of you have ever been attacked? How many of you have ever experienced whatever? Don't raise your hands. How many of you? How many of you have ever experienced anything in your life that has been hurtful or detrimental to you? Yeah, I think, sorry, I know that every one of us has a story in which we can say yes. Is anyone here immune if you're over two years old and at least you have a cognitive ability from someone or something in our background that has been hurtful, bad for us? I don't think there's anyone immune from that. The question this morning for us, I believe, from the Holy Spirit is this. Have we forgiven that person? Have we forgiven? And are we living under the... uh, Facts of either forgiveness or unforgiveness. You see, being forgiven, if we're in Christ, we are forgiven. And being forgiven gives us the spirit-empowered ability to forgive. Remember when Stephen was being stoned in Acts chapter 7? Remember that? And what were those words? He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, I forgive them. Please forgive them. I wonder if Stephen's mama could say that. I wonder if Stephen's sister could say that. Forgive them. And there was a man in the crowd who was holding a bunch of coats and cloaks consenting to this now we don't know whether he actually had arranged it all but this man was there and when this man heard those words forgive them and saw the demeanor of Stephen God used that most powerful work of grace to open the heart of Paul the apostle you see What about us? For those of us who are saved, we have received the forgiving power of Christ. And since we have received it, let me make sure I get this word right with you. Since you have been forgiven. How many of you are in Christ and have been forgiven? How many of you? Come on. If you're in Christ, have you been forgiven? Okay. Every one of us who are in Christ, we have been forgiven. We must... M-U-S-T. You must. Make it very big in your vocabulary. I must forgive others. No question. No equivocation. No and, if, buts, or whatever. I must. Why? If I have received, I must give. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. Colossians 3.13, Forgiving each one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, also you forgive one another. You see, refusing to forgive, 
I don't know what insults God more, but I would put at the top of the list within, I would put it number one, maybe you have one or two, but I would believe that refusing to forgive no matter what was done and what the result was, refusing to forgive is the highest insult against the grace of God. And it also makes us very vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. Remember when Paul was talking about forgiving this man whom they had put out of the church. People are not forgiving and they're doing it the wrong way and they're not understanding how to handle this. Paul says forgive and in verse 11 he says why? In order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan for we're not ignorant of his schemes. Are there issues and people in your life that you need to be forgiving? What does forgiveness look like? First of all, I think we must say this. Have I actually been sinned against? You know, is the thing, the person that we're thinking of, was it actual sin? I think that's important at least to begin there. Secondly, As I contemplate what has been done in my life, I want to do it within the context of remembering how much God has forgiven me. If I contemplate what has been done to me in my life, apart from framing it and allowing it to be contemplated within the atmosphere of how much God has forgiven me, I'm going to be in trouble. I must have the atmosphere of God's forgiving me as the primary atmosphere in which I will contemplate and deal with forgiving others. You must start there. You have to start there or it's going to crush you. You remember Hebrews 8.12 says this and he's Lord is quoting from Jeremiah. He says, I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I want you to see that verse very clearly. I will be merciful to their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Would you please make sure you hear that and make sure you know it. Forgiveness is not Forgetting. Now, there may be some forgetfulness in it, and that's great. That's not what forgiveness is. It's not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You see, I remember. See, I remember the many nights that after my parents had left us alone all night, would come home yelling and screaming. And calling me out of bed and standing on the staircase and them demanding to know which one of them I love more. I remember. You see, I remember us being left alone for days at a time and trying to figure out how to take care of my brother and my sister and do it in a way that was protective. I remember.
I remember the names and the insults that were hurled against me. I remember them. I remember the names. You see, I remember my mother's constant mistreating of my sister. I remember how many days we went to school, the three of us walking to McDonough 14, and my sister crying because she had been belittled and picked on by my mother. And I would tell her, it's all right. I remember that my sister, after dinner, was always put in her room alone upstairs and the door was shut against her all night. I remember. You see, I remember the little nickels that I would receive from going to the grocery store for neighbors and having the can with a bunch of little nickels in it. And then I remember my mother taking them for alcohol, I remember. I remember that night in September 1955 when we told my mother goodbye, never to see her again. I remember. I remember. And then I remember all the other people and things in my life. I remember them as clearly as I remember anything. I remember. But thanks be to God. I used to live under the control and the burden and the chains and the weight of that memory. I used to act a certain way because of that. Had a certain twisted self-affirmation caused me to find some kind of meaning and solace in remembering this. At least I know my grandmother loves me. I remember those days. But you see, I don't live under the burden of that memory anymore. It's not that I don't remember. (laughs) I remember. But you see, the Lord says, I will remember their sins no more. And so now, when I think about my background, when I think about my mom and them, I can think about it and remember it and relate to it Maybe with sadness, but with no more acrimony, bitterness, anger, resentfulness, upsetness, disappointment. Why can I remember all those things that happened, but not remember them antagonistically and condemningly against them? And against her particularly? 
Because the power of God's forgiveness is so powerful that it overcame anything and everything that was done to me. And compared to my personal sin and affront to God, what happened in my life isn't a grain of sand on the seashore of life. I used to live under that. Living in unforgiveness, you live in the chains of the control and the difficulty and the problems that you think you want to get away with, but you are literally actively embracing the very thing that you're upset about and that has been hurting you. And this morning, I believe the Lord wants to break chains among us. How to forgive Understand that forgiveness is deciding to act toward others as God now acts toward us. Decide. Oh, decide against your feelings. Decide against your memory. Decide against everything and anything because we are a forgiven people. Ask God to wash your feelings of anger, resentment, disappointment, or whatever. Ask Him to flush you by the Word of God with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to cleanse your mind and your thoughts and your attitudes. Someone's got to pay. Thank God Jesus has paid it all. Thank God He's paid it all. All to Him I owe. He's paid it all. And then finally, thank God for forgiving you as you forgive, actively extend the forgiveness that God has given to you. God remembers every one of our sin. He ain't forgotten nothing and ain't going to forget nothing. But he simply decides no longer to act toward us as if we had sinned. He acts toward us now, having embraced us into the very life of Christ. Aren't you glad God isn't like us? Therefore, let us become like God. God's forgiveness is the most costly work of grace. And it's the most freeing work of grace. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Fathers, we conclude this service with a time of ministry. Father, don't let anybody off the hook. (laughs) Father, there are going to be people today who are here who are in the grips of sin. Because they won't let it go and forgive and embrace as they have been embraced. They will still remember, remember, and remember, but remember against. Oh God, I have experienced the freedom and I pray that there is not a person here who is in any way encumbered by unforgiveness will not today experience the full-fledged freedom of the Holy Spirit, Father. Lead us today to forgive even as we have been forgiven.
ask the Lord to help us this morning. I thank God for just another message of freedom. And I believe that there are some folks here who need to make a very intentional act to take their person that they have struggled to forgive and to intentionally come before the Lord this morning. And and if you would place a, a stone before God and walk away. Acknowledging your forgiveness of that person. You know, and Peter did such an incredible job of, of letting us into the realities of past hurts and failures of others and the memories that they retain in our lives. And do, don't be confused. Forgetting is not the finish line. It's not as though when I've forgotten, I've forgiven. Um, Forgiveness means you have postured your heart to act toward that person the way in which God acts towards you. You are willing to do good to them. You're willing to pursue them. You're no longer willing to avoid them. You're no longer willing to hold on to wishing ill of them. You are hungry for the grace of God to be found in their lives. I think that's when you know you've been released from unforgiveness is when you are feeling that way. And this morning, if you're not feeling that way, can I just, you know, I've had, all of us have these issues, but it just so helps to have someone who can trump our issues stand in front of us. I have a list of things in my life, but when I sit with Peter, he trumps my things because I didn't have it that bad. I had issues. And uh, I've known Peter many, many years, back to 1983. And if he doesn't tell you these things, you don't know it. Because he doesn't wear them. And listen, we wear stuff like this. Right? We, we get weird. Everybody else knows you're weird. It's just you who don't know you're weird. But it's us responding and avoiding and protecting and trying to guard our lives from the things of the past. And it's like those things shaped us. And, you know, in my years of walking with Peter, I would not have known these things have shaped him. Because something greater came into his life and reshaped him. And so if you're still being shaped by things in your life, you don't have to be. The monument of the cross is a bigger monument than whatever those events were in your past. Don't let those things be bigger in your life than the cross that's redefined who you are. So it may need to be that today you need to start with, I'm going to let go of my anger. I'm going to let go of my bitterness and I'm going to let go of my hurts. I'm not going to use it as a self-justifying feature of my life. Today, I choose to put this before God and to remind myself I have been forgiven of more than today I am forgiving. So I want to ask you to do something very bold and I can only ask you to do this. It's a bold act because these issues are in our lives in a bold way. If you want to deal with them like a wimp, you can get to keep them then. But if you want to deal with them with boldness, because they're dealing with you with boldness, aren't they? 
then what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you, for whatever reason you feel led to do that, if you come up and, and make this morning a place where you're going to leave something here, you're actually symbolically, if you will, you're going to leave those feelings of the past, every sense of justifiable hurt that you have, the thoughts that you ruminate about, the remembrance of those things that causes you not to remember your desire for the grace of God in that person's life, but your withdrawal from them, your hostility that maybe has been controlled. But this morning, do something radical about that. Let's go to the cross. Let's receive our own forgiveness. Be reminded of that. And then let's leave that here this morning. So as Matt's going to lead us in just a moment, if you're here this morning, you need to do that. I want you just to come. I'm going to pray for you. And then I just want you to come. And I want you to confess before God. And I want you to receive from God. Lord, thank you for redemption. Thank you for being bigger than sin. Lord, thank you for a life that was lived in your son and a death that was experienced by your son that is completely, completely sufficient for our deliverance and our freedom. Lord, there's nothing lacking. Lord, nothing needs to happen. It's already happened, Lord. So today, we have the ability for freedom to come into our lives, for a new day to dawn in our lives. Lord, that day, really, for some of us, has been waiting. It's been on hold. It's been something we've not been experiencing. Lord, no more, no more. Lord, the cross bought too much for us. Let us receive today. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning who... They have their own stories to tell of being raised in an environment that was anything but a biblical pattern of love and mercy and care and cherishing and parental influence that was godly. Instead, it was sinful. It was full of anger. It stoked resentment and unforgiveness. Today is the fruit of that. Lord, I pray for those who have those kinds of memories this morning, Lord, you would bring them to a place of hope in the gospel. And I pray for some who have been through the bitterness of broken relationships. There are some who have been through divorce and some who have been on the receiving end of great selfishness in that relationship that has brought them great harm. Lord, they feel like for years in their lives, they have lived a second rate life because somebody abandoned them. And they are reminded on a regular basis that they have been done wrong by someone else. And they feel like their life today is less than what it could have been or should have been. Lord, I pray this morning for grace, for forgiveness to come and to be given and release and freedom to come. Lord, in whatever categories our unforgiveness may be, hiding. Lord, this morning, bring it out and let us set it before you. Lord, I pray that this is, this is a place of remembrance right here this morning, Lord, where your proclamation of go and sin no more. Lord, today, would you bring a day of go and go and be free. Go and no longer be bound by unforgiveness. Go and be a different person in the grace of God. Lord, as as these here have gathered, Lord, remind them of the mercy that they have received. Lord, remind them that today a perfect God forgives a sinner with all the offense that that means. And you are calling them now 
as sinners to forgive yet another sinner. Lord, help them see the difference. Oh God, now let healing mercy come, Lord, in this place. Lord, let the sweetness of our sins being washed away and forgiven, Lord, when we did not deserve it. Let that be a motivator. Lord, let us remember that there are schemes of the enemy present for me to walk another day in unforgiveness truly is to invite the enemy to receive glory and to advance his cause. Lord, we are not interested in that at all. God, this morning, let mercy flow freely in this room. God, let healing come in this room. Lord, there are genuine hurts. There is genuine sadness, Lord. There is real disappointment present here today. Lord, I thank you that even with those feelings present, we are still forgiven and we can forgive others. Lord, let us not be paralyzed by our feelings this morning. Lord, let us determine by the grace of God to act in a manner of forgiving actively those who have sinned against us. So Lord, bring healing now as we sing and as your spirit is here welling up in our hearts as we saw last week as a river of living water flowing out of us. Lord, thank you for the rivers of forgiveness that have come into our lives. Now this morning, Lord, we want them to well up in our hearts that they would flow out of our lives, Lord, and into others' lives. Forgiveness would come from us. So, Lord, do that work. Holy Spirit, these truths are only effective in our hearts if you are here making them alive in our lives. So, Spirit of God, bring your ministry now into our midst. Help us to receive and to drink of the fountain of life. Depth of mercy can there be Mercy reaching even me God the just His wrath forbears Be the chief of sinners spares So many times my heart has strayed from
Love that will not let me 